Welcome to another edition of the Gary Anderson F1 Show. As always, I'm your host, Ed Straw, but the star of the show is former Jordan and Jaguar technical director Gary Anderson, who's never backward in coming forward with his expert opinions. We're going to talk about setups, aero compromises, the different fortunes of the two Ferrari drivers at Silverstone by way of a case study. But as ever, first up, we've got an opening question from one of our listeners. Uh, this one comes from Gokula Manikam. Uh, this is related to uh, partly to Silverstone, where Lance Stroll was uh, a little bit disappointing. Uh, he asks, do you think Racing Point's mentality is what's stopping it from moving forward from being a midfielder slash back marketing? Is its mentality being to hold on to points positions rather than challenge those ahead? Um, I think they want to do the best they can. You know, it's always a very difficult thing to, to assess whether you have the, the speed or the, 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 the want to actually catch the guys ahead of you. Um, I think you have to let that sort of evolve organically itself. Um, you know, you need, you need to get the performance out of the car. You need to get the performance out of the car consistently. You need to understand the, the car better. And um, it, it all takes time. It's not a light switch. Um, they've got themselves to a point now where they're, um, you know, up, up the front of that midfield team, mid, midfield bunch, I suppose, uh, and Ferrari have obviously screwed up a little bit, so suddenly that the leading the leading threes become the leading two in a way. So there is more opportunity for them, but they they seem to be throwing it away a little bit. You know, before I think whenever they were racing point as themselves, uh, whenever they finished fourth in the championship for a couple of years, they had a, a great racing attitude. They they really sort of concentrated on the race because they knew. As as currently, they knew the points came during the race, so you had to get the car working well. You had to make it look after the tires. It didn't have to be the fastest car in the pit lane. Just if it looked after the tires, you could pick up quite a few places because of that. So you know, when they did get a decent qualifying position in, in the, you know well into the top ten, they could run a good race. And and they ran that race just because they they kept their nose clean. They kept themselves to themselves and let all of the others around them to you know, destroy their tyres or whatever, and they picked up good points from it. But now, uh, I say that's a, that's going to be a bit of a switch. If they're really going to go forward, then you have to go attacking. And sometimes if you're going to do that, you need to spend a bit of time, a bit of effort um, in, in making mistakes, I suppose, making mistakes, learning about how to go, go and win um, or how to finish on the podium consistently. And, and they're sort of caught in between a little bit. I don't think we can judge Silverstone because obviously, you know, what we saw... Uh, Sergio Perez, I think, is 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 a big part of that team at the minute. He's he's come a long way with that team, um, and he's brought that team with him and as such. So I think losing him for that weekend, even though they got Nico Hulkenberg and he's a very competent driver, Nico was coming in fresh and new and, and couldn't really contribute too much other than his talent to drive the car. But Sergio can contribute a lot to Lance Stroll's performance and the team's performance in general. So I wouldn't like to make too many decisions based on the first Silverstone race. Um, I'd rather sort of wait to see later on when, when and you know hopefully if Sergio gets back in the, behind the wheel because I think he has the motivation behind the team. So give it time, I think. Give it time, and and I think they can get up there. But it is a bit strange, isn't it? Because they they've not unused to being fight to fighting in the top ten, are they? And you know it wasn't so long ago they were finishing fourth in the championship in back to back years. They were par was kind of seventh or eighth, and then to see Stroll struggling on his way to, to ninth. And actually, all of this season, it surprised me because they, they didn't get the pit stop for Perez in Austria that could have got them a podium. In Styria, it was a little bit messy. Even when Perez had damaged his front wing, they they kind of called him into the pits on the end of the penultimate lap and he stayed out. But 
all these things. And, you know, Hungary was a little bit disappointing. Fourth was, was a good result, obviously, but you sort of wonder whether they should have been closer to the to the top three. It just surprises me because this is a team that's been very, very good at making the most of what it's got, even in that area of the grid and taking these odd podiums. And also that capacity to go quite aggressive has been there in the DNA of the team right back to the days you were making strategy calls that were generating pole positions and uh, and wins and that kind of thing. So it's, it's almost like the growing pains of the team as it tries to get to the front. It seems to have almost sort of stretched it a little bit and people and organisations and ways of working that work really well don't seem to be doing what I'd expect them to be doing, even the sort of simple decision-making, should we say. Yeah, no, well, I think the change, you know, can become a racing point and being taken over by Lawrence Stroll. Um, you know, that's a whole it's a whole different team now, really, to be honest. It, it, it has a bigger vision, and that, that bigger vision needs to get built on. It's, it's not going to happen overnight. So a lot of the people that were just working hard and, and getting the job done, very good people, you'll find they've probably moved a little bit to to managing a few more people or looking after a few more people. You know, they are employing, or they have employed more people, um, so they've got growing pains in that front, and as I say, normally it's the um, it's the good guys that get moved up a bit, and you know they're they're not experienced in moving up a bit, and and the other guys coming in are new and picking up how the team works. So there's lots of changes going on, you know, underneath it all we we don't see, and you know it's it's a bit like uh, Matteo Benotti getting you know his his role as as technical director or as um, team principal at Ferrari. You know, as I said at the time. You know, every time you move that, everything sort of stands still for a while. Every time you move your structure a little bit, one notch as such, to grow it, it just stands still for a while while everybody finds their feet in what they're trying to do. So Racing Point might be suffering from that a little bit at the minute. Um, but, I, I, you know, this, this is a different season. Obviously, the way it's happening, the two races at a time, all that sort of stuff, this is a different way of working for the season. So I, I would like to sort of see a little bit more time for them to settle down again because... Um, they had big expectations coming into this year, huge expectations. And I think they'll be feeling the pain a little bit more than, than we are even. Um, and also, they're, you know, they're under the cush at the minute with this Renault, all these Renault protests and stuff. So there's a, there's a big um, focus of attention towards that as opposed to the car. So there's other things that are taking up their mental capacity at the moment. And uh, that needs to all get cleared up before they can really sort of focus on, on what they are and go and racing again. You know, it's no nice thing whenever you're, You've been uh, protested three races in a row, and you're you're you know you're you're up you're headed you're headed for a, a big tribunal of some sort, um, and you, you know you have no idea how that's going to come out. So, I think too many uh, too many mental hours is taken away from the car focusing on that sort of stuff. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I think you're probably right there. They had to go through a huge amount of information and supply dossiers to the FIA and to the, the stewards. So, yeah, plenty of work being done on that. They only did that just before Silverstone. So, yeah, well, hopefully they'll uh, they'll start to come good. And I guess they're still fifth in the championship. So if that's a disappointing start, that probably says how, how far the team has, has come. Now, let's get on to this question of Ferrari and the setup compromises. We talked on the last podcast about the way Silverstone has shifted from this high downforce circuit to a more compromised one where you can do these trade-offs so how do you go in general about trading off this straight line speed versus corner speed and what sort of differences are we actually talking about in terms of what speed you gain not just at the end of straight but through the straights and in terms of what you lose in terms of downforce um yeah i mean it's it's a, every circuit has a compromise even though you know a high downforce circuit like hungary you're still compromising the efficiency of the downforce that you add onto the car there is lots of things you could pile on the car 
to give it more downforce, but it's just not efficient enough and it will hurt you uh, straight line speed wise. So you've got to balance those two. And, you know, your simulation tools that you have should be what you're using to, to balance those two. You've, you've got, you know, infinite variables on a computer program as such to, de to define a lap time from different de levels of downforce. And the inputs you need for that, obviously, is uh, some consistent tire grip level, which you've evolved through time. You got to know what it is. It doesn't have to be the fastest tire, the slowest tire, just a tire. Um, your data from the wind tunnel, drag and downforce and the, the error map, basically how it changes where the car moves ride height, um, and uh, engine performance, engine torque and, and power. And now obviously the, the errors um, deployment. So you, you take all that stuff and you put it into a simulation program and it spits you at a lap time. And it'll give you some speeds and etc. And you will go through hundreds and hundreds of those setups to try and find the best balance between downforce and drag for every circuit um and you know the maps people have been racing silverstone for a long time so the the maps exist from the past what the performance was like the data from the past few seasons exists as far as what cars had good straight line speed and a good lap time and what you have to try and achieve so you know for ferrari they needed to look deeply at this i, I said it before at the beginning of the season they seem to have gone the wrong way. Yes, they lost engine power. And be because you've lost engine power, you've lost straight line speed. But then you have to look at the compromises for what you've got. It doesn't matter what you had. It doesn't matter what you'll have in the future. It's what you've got right now. You've got to try and make the best out of it. And uh, I'm doing you know, an article now on, on that and looking at the, the performance at Silverstone to see how Ferrari have, I suppose you could say, improved their performance a little bit, especially Charles Leclerc. And, you know, it's... For every team, it is just that compromise. And obviously Mercedes, you know, they're on pole position. They won the race. Um, so, you know, they get the best compromise out of it. And it's interesting to look at what how they achieved that. You know, you need everything to win a Grand Prix. You need a good engine, lots of power. You need a very efficient chassis with lots of downforce. Um, and you need to execute the, the weekend well. If you can do all that, you usually come out, out winning. Um, Ferrari haven't been doing that lately. Um, and they haven't adapted to, I suppose, what you might call the car they've got. And before you can get the best out of the car you've got, you've got to make those compromises. And uh, I think Silverstone, they did that. As I say, especially with Leclerc, he um, he ran the car in a lesser downforce mode, I'd say, the rear wing looking at it. If you look at straight line speeds, they were competitive. Um, so they got the package to be in a reasonably competitive level. Uh, it was a very, very mixed up race. To be honest, I think whenever you whenever you look at it, um, you know Lewis Hamilton could have had a pit stop uh, by lap twelve, was it? I think no, by lap twelve, Lewis could have come in the pits and gone out seventh uh, from leading the race. You know, so they had such a, a such a hold in the race at lap twenty nine. Lap twenty nine, yeah, Hamilton come into the pits and, and gone out fourth, and that was after they've all bunched up with safety cars and stuff. So. You know, they had such a hold in that race at Mercedes that nobody was going to beat them. Um, the only thing they could do was beat themselves. And, you know, that's what happened to Bottas. They should have had a one-two, but they beat themselves. You know, Bottas was complaining about tyre vibration. He's in the car. He knows what, you know, he knows what's going on. He knows what's right and what's wrong. And maybe they should have paid a bit more attention to him. Are you surprised that Ferrari managed to to get that compromise so so strongly? Because, obviously, it asked the driver to 
live with a slightly more lively car in qualifying, although the new tyre bite obviously helped. Leclerc did that well, Vettel didn't. But also, we then got this question of the tyre management in, in the race, and he, he was never really going to be challenging for Stapp, and he did a little bit right at the start, but... You know, he held on to that position, which was which was the, the the challenge. So it does seem that Ferrari got that spot on. And how difficult is it to get into that sweet spot? Are you surprised that it seemed to come off so well? Because I can't really see they could have done any better than what they did with Leclerc's car. No, I, I don't think they could have. And that's what I'm saying. They've they've bought into the fact that what they've got now is what they've got. And I think Leclerc, um, he did drive it very well. He drove it within what he was doing. You know, it's it's one of these things. It's very easy. It'd be very easy to try to drive it faster to try to catch um, Verstappen uh, or Hamilton or Bottas or whatever. Um, and then you just burn the tyres up because the car's sliding around so much. And he's capable of doing that. You know, the car itself is not the best car in the pit lane, but it does look, in his case, that he's reasonably comfortable with the car he's got. You know, the balance is okay. He drives it well. So he's not sort of like fighting some inbuilt problem in the car. It's just not quick enough. Um, so I think he bought into what he had. This is the lap time I can do with what I've got. This is the lap time I'm going to do with what I've got. And that, at that lap time, you're looking after the tyres in the best way possible. So you get the best out of your package and you, you wait on the people around you doing something wrong or whatever to, to, pick, up, to pick up some positions. Um, you know, he started fourth. By the end of lap one, he was still fourth. So he made a good start. By the end of lap 10, he was still fourth. So, you know, no, no big dramas in that at all. Um, he got out after the... Pit stops with a with a um, safety car fourth, so he had a pretty nondescript race as such. He ended up third because Bottas wasn't there, but you know it's okay. He did his job with a car that was basically capable of being fourth in that race. And you, you know the competition is only relative. In that race, there was twenty cars started it. There was three cars faster than him, and there was you know sixteen cars slower than him. And that's where he started, and that's where he ended up at. So I think he and Ferrari as far as getting the best at what they got, did a solid job. Um, they reacted to all the situations in the only manner they could do. Um, as I say, it would be very easy to overdrive the car um, if you don't have quite have the grip. But then if you take all cars, all 20 cars down through the grid, or all 10 chassis as such, let's say, they've all got different levels of downforce. Um, they've all got different levels of grip, let's put it that way, but they've all got different levels of downforce. So they all go at a different lap time if if Grosjean wanted to drive his Haas at the same speed as as Lewis Hamilton drives his Mercedes he, he just couldn't you know because it's not quick enough it hasn't got the grip to do that so Grosjean has to drive his car at the speed it can go at and and Leclerc did that as well so easy to overdrive the car and burn the tires up but he didn't do that so yeah I would I would uh, pat him on the back for the job he did at the weekend and is this setup approach and the learnings from Silverstone applicable Everywhere, obviously, we were at the Hungaroring last time. That's a that's probably the most power irrelevant power circuit on the on the calendar that we've got this year. So that wouldn't have changed. But if they went back to Austria now with what they've learned here, do you think they could have got a little bit more out of the car by getting that compromise correct? And therefore, will it will it help them at certain circuits going forward? I think it'll help them at most circuits. If if you, I think it helps anybody at most circuits if you buy into what you've got and get the best out of it. Um, and it's always a compromise. You know, you, you if you take Hungary, for example, you know, if somebody comes up and gives you 10 horsepower, um, it's going to go better. You know, it will be a benefit to you. There's some circuits where that 10 horsepower will be a little bit bigger advantage to you, but you'll always get a gain out of it. The same as a bit more downforce, you'll always get a little bit of gain out of it. As long as it's good 
you know, neutral downforce. It's not peaking and all that sort of stuff. So I think, I think they've got a, a they've got a, a direction from what they've done, and I think they'll maintain that direction because they know, you know, they come away from Silverstone now having a better idea, I think, on the downforce levels and the the efficiency levels that gives them a Silverstone car that works quite well. And we know Silverstone's a demanding track. As you say, it's not quite high downforce, um, but it's not low downforce either. So there's a, a good compromise on there somewhere. And uh, they've they got that compromise right. So it will give them good direction for some of these faster circuits that's, that's, that's going to be coming up. And that can only be positive for them, to be honest. Um, you know, that, that was one car. There's a two-car team there. That was one car, and they did a good job with it now. As far as um, Vettel's concerned, I don't know what I don't know what his weekend how it fell apart, but it, it you know it wasn't a good weekend for him. So he needs to uh, to get himself back to stability, I suppose you might call it, before we can really assess his uh, his true sort of condition or his true worth to the team. Yeah, it did look like. I mean, if you look at qualifying, he was 0.912 off. Admittedly, he did have his final Q3 lap time deleted for exceeding track limits, so he'd have been a couple of tenths further up the road, perhaps. But that's a big difference. Looking at the onboards, you can see he's not quite as so confident in the car. We know he doesn't like the rear moving around. Leclerc, we have seen regularly, he's pretty spectacular and happy to have the car moving. So, what do you do if you're sat there in the engineering briefings trying to decide what to do because you've got one driver who's very well suited to this kind of thing another driver who's not so well suited so would you in the case of Vettel maybe say actually we're going to have to give you a little bit more stability even if we think that's not the best ultimate potential of the car because we know you can't handle it or do you have to say to the driver come on you should be good enough to be able to deal with this and do what do what Charles is doing um, yeah, I mean, if you look at the speeds during qualifying, there's not massive difference. They're all within sort of one kilometre through all the section traps. So as far as downforce and power, whatever you like to call it, is concerned, they weren't that far apart from each other. And I think that's where the sort of the problem really jumped out because obviously then the lap time isn't there. You know, section three, which is where the, the tyres have sort of cried enough and stuff like that. It was, what, three-tenths three tenths slower than uh, than Leclerc in section two. Um he was two tenths slower, nearly three tenths slower. So I think I'd go back a bit, a few years, whenever they were, whenever Red Bull were playing around with the um, exhaust blowing or the yeah, exhaust blowing diffusers and exhaust blowing rear brake ducts, as I used to call it. They started one season, him and him and Weber, and basically it wasn't working, and Vettel just could not make use of the car. It was a normal car. Weber was was you know trashing him at all the first three or three Grand Prix until they got the exhaust gas stuff working correctly. And I think Vettel drives the car very differently. And he, he, he borrows into the corner, he lets a good front end. And with the exhaust blowing, the big thing was just get back on the throttle, get the throttle open again, and that gives the rear the, the, the grip. Otherwise, you know, the rear of the car feels really nervous. And whenever that was working right for him, he, he was very, very good at it. That's the way he drives. Whenever it wasn't working right, Weber was better than him because Weber drove the car conventionally. And I, I used to go out in the track and watch, and you could you could tell the difference in the throttle application. Weber would be gentle with putting the throttle application back into the car, whereas Vettel, when it was working right, would just nail the throttle. And you could see the car, you know, rotate because the rear was nervous, the rear was breaking away, and the minute he nailed the throttle, the rear would grip. And I think whenever you're driving a car like the Ferrari, which, you know, the exhaust blowing stuff now doesn't make any difference, but I think driving the car like the Ferrari... 
he's trying to drive it like that still. So he's got you know a pretty pointy front end on the car, getting it to turn in. But then the rear doesn't increase its grip whenever you get back in the throttle. So you need to drive a car that's fairly well balanced, and then it doesn't turn for him. So you know it's a different driving style. I don't think he adapted very well. It, you know, his driving style suited exhaust blown diffusers. His driving style at the minute doesn't suit it well um, because you don't have any again from the throttle application. So maybe he needs to change his mentality a little bit. Maybe they're trying to run the cars too similar, um, Leclerc and him. Um, maybe they need to sort of deviate off in their own way. Uh, I, I'm not sure what the answer is, but he doesn't just seem to suit with the, as well as Leclerc does the car he's got at the minute. I think he's sort of getting on top of that. Do you think there are just some drivers who are less good at adapting to this sort of thing, to the slightly different style? Because you can't always get a car to do exactly what you want and to have the characteristics. There's a certain way the laws of physics dictate there is a certain way that a particular package will go quickest around the lap and over a race distance. But some drivers are better at living with it than than others. Do you just have to accept if you're the technical director of a team that you may have one driver like Vettel who's spectacularly fast in a fra- in a slightly narrower window maybe and then you have to make compromises or d- do you have to sort of try and push them to go outside that comfort zone especially when you're talking about a driver who's been around for quite a while it's not a not a kind of young driver you can almost uh, sort of bully into it shall we say yeah I mean that that's always going to happen um one of the things I've always said is at two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon the one thing that Michael Schumacher did best and better than anybody else in that, in that period of time was buy into the car he had. He'd found the best solution to driving it um, and getting the best out of it for that weekend, whether it was doing, you know, four pit stops, five pit stops or one pit stop, whatever. He would, you know, what he had at that point in time, if it was fresh tyres and he had a 10-lap sprint, he was doing qualifying laps, you know. If it was a 30-lap stint, he was looking after everything. So you need to be able to do that, I think, you know, Jensen Button was another one who he just his 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 balance sensitivity between understeer and oversteer was just so fine. You know, listening to him on the radio and looking and trying to understand a little bit. You know, he would have what you might call it. You know, a couple of percent understeer, and he was you know he couldn't drive because of the understeer. A little bit of a flicker front wing, which turned it to the rear being a little bit free. I suppose, and suddenly the oversteer was there, you know. Such a fine line of the balance that he needed because of the way he drove the car. He, he's one of these sort of F3 drivers in Formula 1 where he wanted to carry corner speed. So he needed the car to be balanced for a longer time. You know, when, he, when you drive a car and you, you have this rush up to the corner, stand in the brakes, turn it and get on the throttle, you've only got a very small angle change or degree change through that corner of requiring balance on the car because you're just stopping it and starting it. Whereas if you carry corner speed through a long corner, um, you know, you've got a much, much bigger area, a much longer time, a much bigger angle of the corner where you need the balance. And that's very, very difficult to achieve. So, you know, if you've got big, you know, just a big braking, turn the car and, and nail the throttle, it's much easier to get the car to go to go quickly. So you need to buy into these sort of things, I think. And I, I think that... Um, at the minute, I suppose, when you go back to Vettel at, at Red Bull, you know, he was he was the boy. He was the man that was that was taken. He had all the attention. Everything was going the way he needed it to be, the way he wanted it to be. Um, and at Ferrari, it's not like that. And this year at Ferrari, it's even worse because Ferrari have, you know, they haven't renewed his contract. I suppose that says he's, they've fired him. But, he, you know, they will be now listening to Leclerc. 
will be now trying to satisfy his needs because he's the future for them, whether they whether Vettel likes it or not. I thought that Vettel would come out, you know, firing in all cylinders this year, but he, he hasn't done that either. So, yeah, he's he's a bit like 2014 at Red Bull when, when uh, Ricardo came in and sort of started to beat him. He seemed to then beat himself a bit more. And right at the minute, I think he's doing the same thing. He hadn't a good run of luck, run of luck at Silverstone with the problems he had. So, you know, you need to sort of give him a little bit of leeway for that. But um, let's see what happens next weekend. But he's, he's definitely got to pick his game up a little bit. Silverstone, I guess, could just be the perfect storm of negative circumstances with Vettel, couldn't it? Because it's not a circuit he generally thrives at, is it? He's not always at his best at the the highest speed circuits. We saw that right back to the days up against Weber, when even when Vettel was uh, in his pomp, Weber was often stronger at Silverstone. Raikkonen was sometimes as well with Ferrari. And obviously, if you haven't got that confidence, really high speed corners. It, it just it's just that that situation where that this this trade-off is is just everything is is bad for him so it could so even if he struggles this weekend it doesn't necessarily mean that if ferrari perseveres with this approach it's going to be bad for him always does it no it doesn't it doesn't mean that at all you know the thing about the high-speed corners is there's a lot less of that stopping the car turning it and getting back and throttle stuff that i think vettel's very very good at you know it's all about carrying corner speed through cops through the back it's, it's all about motoring along there and carrying corner speed um, there is no stopping really at Silverstone, to be honest. You know, very, very little stopping at Silverstone. So it it's, doesn't suit Vettel, I think, for those reasons. He's a he's a driver that is you know wants to drive the car differently. But the long, fast corners, you know, you're in them for such a little amount of time as well. Um, but there's no other than being brave and having a good, balanced car. There's nothing the driver can really do. You know, if he's brave and he's a good, balanced car, then he can try to go faster. Um, but there's nothing the driver can do to contribute to the deficit of a car. I think Leclerc is is young and brave and, and hungry, um, so he, he just you know he drives it that little bit harder, just a little bit faster. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think circuits will suit either driver a bit a bit off and on, but I think Vettel's probably a little bit down and out with Ferrari this at this point in time, just because of not being renewed for next year. Um, because he put a big effort into it, whether it was right or wrong to leave Red Bull and go there, that's a matter of debate. But the um, he made that decision. He went there for the right reasons, and there's not many F1 drivers that have actually had a, an opportunity to drive for Ferrari. So, you know, he's had that opportunity. Um, he's won a few races for them. It hasn't paid off. They haven't won the championship. But you know, he needs for himself. He needs to finish the season strongly. And his only his only competition really is Leclerc. He's got to work on doing that, and that, that's the objective really right now. He doesn't, I don't think he should care about the rest of the drivers. He's just got to try to be nipping at Leclerc's heels or a little bit better than him, and that will get his credibility back. Did anyone else catch your eye in terms of the approach they took to the, the those trade-offs of the, the top speed, the sector times, etc.? Obviously, we saw a few different approaches. It was really interesting because there was that, that kind of midfield group, wasn't there, that was so close, and you can almost, with the same setups, imagine that group of four teams, Ferrari, Renault Racing Point, McLaren in particular, maybe you can throw Gasly in there, they could basically go into this this next Silverstone weekend and end up in a completely different order without really anything changing. But is, is there scope for, for people getting it a, bit, a little bit more right second time around? Um, yeah, I think so. I think uh, the best thing to do is read my, read my article, read my, read my column when I get Always it Always the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you know, there's always a better way to achieve it. Now, it sounds simple whenever you're sitting here looking at it and, and doing it, what you should do and who should run a bit more downforce or who should um, who should run, a, you know, a bit more, a bit less downforce and get straight down speed. So that's all in there. It's 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 just the, the fact that um, it doesn't always work that way because there's some drivers, I have to say, I'm, I'm using this word loosely, you can give some drivers more downforce and they don't make best use of it. You can put more downforce on some cars, and it doesn't, you know, it it doesn't make best use of it because the car might understeer a little bit or its characteristics change a little bit. But in general, um, most drivers uh, and most cars will take advantage from reducing the drag. They'll just go faster down the straights. Now, you know, I can go faster down the straights in a car if I've got less drag. But to take it around the corner is a bit more difficult. To use that extra bit of grip to go around the corner is a bit more difficult. So it's it's about that compromise as well. It's not just the car. It's about that compromise of of the driver um, using whatever extra you give them, whether it be straight line speed or cornering ability. And as I say, a lot, quite a few drivers, you give them a little bit of extra grip to go around the corners faster, and he'll come back to you and say, oh, the car you know, feels much, much more secure now. Yeah, but it shouldn't. You should be going faster. So he does the same lap time, but more downforce, and goes slower in the straight. So he is going around the corner a little bit faster, but he hasn't made up that advantage. So I think, you know, you have to experiment a little bit within a small window for every car and for every driver. But that that window is quite small now. You know, whenever you look, Mercedes, and especially Hamilton, obviously, because all I've done is take these section times for the fastest driver of each chassis. I'm more interested in the chassis, because obviously... Between Hamilton and Bottas, there could have been a compromise. Bottas might have been running less downforce than Hamilton, for example. So he might be faster on the straight and Hamilton quicker in the sections. So I've taken the fastest driver um, for each each chassis and used their section times and speeds to, to look at it. Um, but uh, again, it's it's all down to how, how it suits your car. The one thing I will say is Haas and Alfa Romeo are in trouble in everything. So... You know, there's no there's no magic wand for them. I don't think so. Um, I'd say that there's a, there's room for improvement. That midfield was so tight that a tenth of a second here and there will make a massive difference. I don't think Racing Point did as good a job as they wanted to or should have done um, with what they have right now. Um, but I do think they're missing Perez, and you know, at the end of the day, they're not going to have Perez back this weekend either. So um, they'll have to try and improve themselves from where they were. Yeah, they've they've not yet officially confirmed what's going on with Perez, but yeah, I, I can't see how he can be how he can be back with uh, how close these races are are together. So uh, yeah, hopefully we get to see Nicky Hulkenberg uh, have a race. Should we just finish on Alex Albon because he's an interesting case, not just because of his struggles, but because he had a new race engineer in Simon Rennie, very experienced, worked with Ricardo Alonso, uh, Raikkonen, Robert Kubica, of course, in in the past, and I thought we saw some. Uh, some kind of green shoots of recovery, as it were, from from Albon, even though on paper his weekend looked like more of the same. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. Um, I think it was more confidence in the weekend and acceptance of the weekend, I suppose. You know, again, what I was saying about the way Vettel drove the car with the front end and, and getting back on the throttle and the rear end, um, it's securing the rear end. You know, Max Verstappen... He probably he probably say he's an exceptional talent, you know. Um, and exceptional means that he's as good as anybody out there, in my book. Um, you know, he hasn't he hasn't quite got the car 
that he needs to go and take the competition straight to, to the Mercedes guys or to Hamilton. And I think Albon's the one showing that up, that the car's not there to give the driver the confidence. Uh, Max will always, you know, we've always seen him, he'll drive the wheels of anything he's in, um, which is fantastic, really. But Albon just needs a clean weekend, I think. Just a nice, neat and tidy weekend there with his new engineer, just to get his confidence back. He didn't have that, you know, we heard during practice... It was that they were on about, you know, a bit understeer. Both drivers were saying got too much understeer, and I, I tweeted to say, I hope they don't get rid of too much of that because you know that's what will end up throwing them in the hedge, and and the next, you know, next run, bitch bash is on the hedge. Um, so sometimes you've got to live with what you've got um, as far as that's concerned, but just get the confidence in the car, make sure the car's doing one thing over the lap, and it's not just sitting on that knife edge, and you're not quite sure what's going to happen corner to corner. I think that's what's catching Albon out. The car's, the car's two cars. You know, one, one point in time, it hasn't got the front end, and the next point in time, the rear end's in front of you, and you're in the hedge. So, you need to just make sure the car will actually sort of give you one input. Might be too much understeer, then just learn to drive with that, trim it, trim it a little bit, and sort yourself out. But just keep it doing one thing as opposed to two or three different things. Yeah, that, uh, that uh, tweet you mentioned proved to be very popular, given what happened. Uh, as often the case, you were uh, you were very prescient on, on that one. So you can follow Gary on, at GaryAndersonF1 on Twitter. There's always some uh, some interesting observations to be uh, to, to be had in there. And also, actually, on the subject of race engineers, we recorded a, a race uh, engineer secrets uh, podcast. I think it came out on the 17th of June. So if you look back in this feed, you can hear a bit more about the importance of the, the race engineer. I guess the last thing on Alban is it, it does sound like he benefited from having a fairly assertive, shall we say, race engineer. I think you've you mentioned in a piece you did uh, on the on the race website that some drivers benefit more from having a slightly more didactic uh, race engineer. So that that's probably the really encouraging thing, and that'll help him be in the right headspace probably as well. Yeah, I think you know if you if you go back to the race engineers that I had, you know, um, working for me, Rob Smedley was probably one of the the ones I'd say was assertive. You know, he he always would. Um, pursue his his ways of thinking as far as setup in the car is concerned, um, but he'd convince the driver that he was right to the level that the driver would buy into it, and and that's really important, you know, because you don't want to be wishy washy, you, you know. If you go in and say, "Oh, we could do this and it might do that," or you do this and I have no idea what will happen, but we could give it a try, that's wishy washy. You have to go in and say, "Right, we'll do this. It'll fix the, you know, it'll support the car more through turn three. It'll." You know, give you better traction at turn five and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you go in, bang, dush. And the driver believes in you and has confidence in you. You might be talking rubbish, but at least do it and, and give, the, give the driver the confidence. And I think during my time with the drivers I had, you know, I, I always liked to have my gut feel. At that time, there's, you know, a huge amount less data. I'm an old boy. Um, so, you know, you you just give the driver confidence through what you were saying and the fact that, you know, if we do this, it'll do that. Um, and that's what you need, you know, so on and so forth. So you have to do that. And I think Simon Rennie can give that to Alvin. He can give him confidence in that the changes they make are not just let's see what happens changes. They're actually, you know, bish, bash, bosh. They should, this car will go faster. It should be better through here. Um, and that's what you hear, I think, between between Lewis and um, his engineer, you know, Simon, um, Peter Bonington. Um confidence in what they're trying to do you have to you have to have that confidence level so uh be interesting to see as i say without uh i keep on saying about 
reducing this data and letting the engineer and the driver try to achieve the results over the weekend as opposed to everything being data-driven because uh, it would bring in that experience level again, both from an engineering and a driver point of view. But uh, we might never see that. Yeah, it'd be great to see that in the, these days where you have all the radio as well. So you you get the best of both worlds, so the insight and the uh, the challenge. But uh, yeah, I think that's the, the, there's going to be some resistance to that idea. Yeah, there, I'm sure there was some resistance. But yeah, again, this this year is a year of difference and it should be a year of experimentation because it is different. So look, you know, buy into the fact that whenever this season comes up on the record books, there'll be a winner and a loser. But at the end of the day, you know, on the way there, we should do a little bit of experiment to see what makes it different. Because as I say, the season will always carry that emphasis of being, was it a real season or was it not? Um, And at the minute, we're just sort of mumbling along doing the same thing. So I'd rather that wouldn't happen. Sounds like there's somebody at the door, Gary. Do you need to go and answer it? Yes, please. But I was going to finish then anyway. So as Gary dashes off, please feel free to go and answer the door. Yeah, do follow Gary Anderson at Gary Anderson F1 on, on Twitter. Please subscribe to this podcast. Have a look at the race.com website as well. And don't forget the hyphen lots from Gary on there and from the rest of us. We'll be back after Silverstone 2 for more from Gary. 